Hello and welcome to this week's Dairy Dialogue podcast, and it's number 137. For some reason I'm not sure of, 137 has a lot of connotations in physics and the military, and there are also quite a few albums and songs with the number 137 in them, a couple of which I actually have. And apparently, although I've not checked and nor am I about to, 137 is the age mentioned most in the Bible. I'm Jim Cornell, editor of Dairy Reporter, and it's been an odd week. Not because of the number 137, but because my wife took the week off work. For no real reason other than if you leave it all year, you can't really take it all in December. And so my usual routines have been slightly different. In a way, it's been useful because by mistake, I set an interview for the exact time school is out. And also, I'm not supposed to drive for 15 minutes after the COVID jab and mine is this week. So it's all turned out okay. I'm not really sure that my normal work music has gone down too well, though. It's an acquired taste, I think you could say. I managed to keep my accident-prone streak going this week when the dog's leash got caught under my shoe as I was putting it on, and then it catapulted into my face when I moved my foot. At the time, I swore I'd either broken my nose or my glasses, but fortunately, no. If you'd seen it on YouTube, you would swear it was faked. But the dog doesn't have a phone, and even if he did, I suspect he wouldn't be filming me more likely the dog next door that he seems obsessed with. Or he'd be scrolling through firehydrants.com. And I just checked and there is no firehydrants.com. Maybe for a good reason. I do have an apology to make this week as well. On last week's show, I mentioned numbers stations on the radio and someone emailed to say they'd never heard of them. And then after a quick Google search, spent several hours at night listening to recordings and scared themselves and couldn't get back to sleep. So sorry for that. The podcast is a little shorter than usual this week, not because there aren't three interviews, there are, but a couple of them are a little bit shorter. I could have used another one to make four, but then if I'm short next week, I'd be pretty mad at myself. I could also fill it up by talking for even longer, but I won't subject you to that. So who do we have on the show this week? Well, we have conversations with Cascade Glacier SVP of Sales and Marketing, Joel Simmons, Christophe Bourgeois, co-founder of NotoYou, and Dr. Luigi Rossi, Executive Director of SACO System Agro Food Business Unit. And of course, we also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Liam Fenton at StoneX. Which brings us, predictable as ever, to this week's news, which you may have missed when the internet seemed to collapse for a few hours yesterday, or because you were doing something else, like maybe working. UK farming unions say they fear rising dairy production costs and a lack of sustainable milk price. Elopac debuted its tethered caps. That's tethered, not feathered. And Friesland Campina Ingredients has launched a new organic product for premium organic infant milk formula. DSM introduced new antibiotic residue detection with fully automated testing. We had our Maxim Foods look at the June dairy markets. And it's been a big week for facility openings. Kerry opened a taste facility in Mexico. CP Calco opened a new facility in Atlanta, Georgia. And a little west of Atlanta, KCK has broken ground on a new dairy processing facility, which is going to be in Amarillo, Texas. Clearly, they know the way to Amarillo. Funny how that was a huge hit song in the UK and not really in the US. Moving along, Kerry is in the news again as its research shows consumers are more focused on food safety and Westland finished its wastewater pipeline project in New Zealand. 
The U.S. Senator has called for a dairy industry investigation. This year's Dairy Experience Forum is set to take place online, and FI Europe and HI Europe will both be in person and online in 2021. Just up the road from me is a very popular ice cream parlour called Mancini's, and it's won the UK's Top Ice Cream Award for 2021. Metla Toledo debuted its new flash cell load cell technology for check weighing, and you can read all of these and quite a few more, and even indulge in a few previous podcasts at DairyReporter.com. So let's get to our first interview this week, and it's with Sacco System in Italy. The company recently reorganized its agro-food division by proposing new product lines, adding new personnel, and giving the leadership of the new business unit to Dr. Luigi Rossi, who we will hear from now. Okay, could you first tell us a little bit about Sacco System? Sacco System is a company having a long tradition and experience in the manufacture of food cultures. And the company has a big expansion in the international market by reaching over then 110 countries worldwide. And what was behind the reorganization of the agro-food division? Agro-food is a new innovative project. The main idea is beside the core business of the company, which is still dairy part, would be to create a new image and a new market in this area. Our bacteria could represent a good tool that could bring a strong benefit for the market. And so how will that division run now? The main goal would be to go in agriculture business because everybody is looking to produce better food quality, meaning better sustainability and um, we are looking for agriculture business and opportunity because everybody is looking to produce with less pesticide, less chemical, less antibiotics. And definitely we are going to cover all the chain from the production till the table. What will be the benefits for your customers now that you've made these changes? It is estimated that uh, within 2030, most of the agriculture in Europe will be under bio, meaning that, as I said before, less chemical, less pesticide, less antibiotic will be used. And so we are looking to giving a tool to our customer by bringing a benefit. What does it mean in the practice would be to use a natural flora that will replace chemical. And this definitely would be a strong benefit for the culture, for the market, where we are looking for. And how does the dairy industry fit in with this new structure that you have? We have changed the structure because we believe that we have to go more deeply in any segment, meaning that we reorganize our activity by looking to different business units. And one of the business units will be, of course, agro, and the dairy will be, let's say, a vertical business unit looking for both export market in Italy. So we make a change because we want to be much more close to the market. And what trends are you looking to take advantage of with the new business unit? We have a new client uh, looking for improve their products uh, within, with a natural flora, meaning that we have already a lot of contact of company both in Italy and Europe looking to 
provide products with uh, much more benefit in terms of producing with natural flora and uh, looking to have more yield with their products. So all in all, we believe that we can bring a lot of benefit in this change because everybody is looking with a new trend or sustainability and making much more natural products with our tool. And do you expect to be moving into any new areas with this change? Yes, absolutely. We are looking for B2B business because, as I said before, many companies are looking to make um, a new formulation with our ingredients. At the same time, we are looking also for big accounts that are interested in working together with us in order to finalize a special project in agribusiness. Okay, so could you tell me a little bit about the collaboration with LandLab? It's an important cooperation with LandLab because we have decided to strengthen this cooperation with a very specialized company looking for new strain in vegetable application, new development, but we want to provide a service for our customer looking for our bacteria by giving them a full report and analysis data on how much benefit these new tools like a bacteria could bring to the customer in terms of better health status for plant and better yield in agriculture food business. And how does the Farm to Fork program fit in with all of this? We think that we have covered all this program because we have a lot of resources and bacteria like culture for protection within food and with this new range of agro we are able to provide from the beginning till the end, meaning from the farmer production till the table, we have bacteria and probiotics and good starter culture providing the food safety and a better food quality. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, and we wish you all the best with the project as you move forward. Thanks a lot to you, and we are sure that everything will go very well. Next, we skip across the Italian border into France to talk to the company Notoyu. I got a press release about them a couple of weeks ago to say that it was helping out facilities during the pandemic by creating virtual tours for places that are closed. And it made me think of some of the places I've been, where there are cheesemakers that do tours or have a store to sell their products. And there are also, of course, other uses for this in the dairy industry, like cheese museums or even cheese trails. The company does 360-degree images, makes and embeds videos, even creates virtual reality presentations for VR goggles. It's used by a lot of museums and art galleries and also tourist destinations, but I figured there might be somebody out there listening that might be interested. So to tell us all about it is co-founder of Not All You, Christophe Bourgeois. What I thought was when I saw it, I thought it would be really good for like small cheese makers or small ice cream companies to promote themselves and do virtual tours, that kind of thing? Yeah, that's an... That's a brilliant idea because every company needs to show what they are doing. So, for example, your idea regarding Cheese Factory, well, we have been doing immersive tour with the VR, with the 3D and uh, all the technologies. Regarding Cheese Factory, for example, the, the thing is to, to tell a, a great story, to um, 
interest people, clients to what they do, how the cheese is made, where it is, how the, the animals, for example, are, have been treated, to have the story of who is doing your cheese, discover the, the animals behind, discover how it is made. Regarding immersive tour in general, the thing is to interest people, to let them be in the immersive tour through a mobile phone, through a computer, through a, an iPad or whatever, and to be in this place as if you were there. So the thing is to be really in immersion. Once you are in immersion in the place you choose, well, that can be a museum, that can be a, a, a big factory, that can be a small factory, that can be a, a retail store, that can be a concept store uh, all around the world, saying from London or from Paris, you can visit uh, any uh, any store in Japan or a concept store in Tokyo uh, because you, you only have a, a small corner shop around, uh, around the street and you don't have the, the full access to the concept store so you can discover, for example, the the creator, uh, the designer, or whatever. So once you are in immersion in this immersive tour, you have point of interest. This point of interest, you click on it, and you access to different contents. At the same time, you are visiting the place, walking virtually in, in the place. So you can click on this point of interest and access to the video of the interview of the owner, for example, video of the animals. Um, you can access, for example, to recipes, to cook with the products they are selling. So that could be a great interest. That's for the, the third point. Afterwards, regarding the situation right now in the world, as it's not possible to visit places, here you can discover and you can, well, for example, we can link the products as well. Do something like a click and collect. I guess the pandemic has made it such that people can't connect and they really want to connect with each other. We produce like many, many contents and we adapt technology to specific needs. The thing is that it is a good way to, uh, to link people. That's pretty important. For example, we produce some immersive tour for many different audiences, but for example, schools, so regarding your ID um, for cheese factory, for example, that can be for urban kids to visit the factory to know how cheese is made. And moreover, we were talking about like big and small companies. We have a few technology regarding the needs of the, the clients, but the thing is that for small companies, that's affordable. That's not big budget, but that's affordable costs. And that helps people during pandemic to continue to do business. But I think that's a trend which will stay um, for long now. So is this something that could be used with VR goggles or with computers, tablets? Uh, both. For example, we, we have done something for wine. So you you can visit the the winery, you can visit the the fields, you can visit the the vineyards, uh, and you can visit it um, during a testing. And you have the goggles, 
you have the gogons and you are visiting the vineyards at the same time you are testing the wine, for example. All the contents we, we are talking about are suitable for goggles, suitable for computer, are suitable for mobile as well. Do the company send you the footage or do you go to them and, and film it all? Usually we, we go to, to produce the contents. Sometimes we produce the VR part and they send us the, like, the video content they have. For big foundation or big museums, they are sending us like contents but we are going there to produce the VR experience. And how easy is it for people to access this? They just go online and it's right there? Yes, there are many, many ways. The first is like that's on their website. That's for free for some. When we are closed, that's possible to, to visit the museum as well. That will never uh, replace the fact of going to a place. Uh, a cheese factory or a museum or retail store. So sometimes now they are selling tickets for the physical venue and for the online visit. So that's the first point. Then uh, we organize for them sometimes online visit, online visit with a guide, and the guide is making the tour as if you were there and you visit the museum with the guide during one one hour, for example, one hour on Zoom, uh, Teams, or whatever. What we have done, for example, for uh, the Mont Saint-Michel Abbey, for example, there is a teacher over there specialized in the Mont Saint-Michel Abbey. She's doing online visits for schools all around the world to let... Obviously, if you're having to travel out to do... VR, do you have like partners in different countries that can go and do the filming so that you don't have to fly from France to, I don't know, Greece or wherever? Yes, but we do both. Sometimes we go with the French team and sometimes we partner with the people on site. So you can do this all over the world then, basically? Yeah, we try to gather all these visits, like for the cultural part, uh, on another website to aggregate all together, all the immersive tour that we produce, or even uh, the tour we don't, um, on a website called Wherevart, wherevart.com. What's the reaction been like from the places that you've been able to create content for? Reactions are great. Well, you keep the link with your audience, clients, or customers, or whatever. You can add content. It's not on a classic website, flat design, whatever, or you have a video uh, embed. Uh, that's, you are in immersion uh, in the place you, you want to visit. So it creates a lot of interest for them. And then that allows them to, to sell more, to keep in touch with the audience, clients, Reactions are great, and we are working on uh, many ways to go further. And obviously, things change. Like with cheese companies, they come up with new products, or with museums, there are new exhibits. Is it easy for them to add and take away from their content? Yeah, sure. We can add any point of interest during the immersive tour. Uh, if it's new videos, we can embed them. If it's new content to produce, we produce it and we, we add it to the content.
Definitely an interesting idea and maybe something to check out. If you did want to see some examples of the work, the link is in the article accompanying the podcast, although I do appreciate there are listeners on other platforms who aren't reading the article. So to check out some of the capabilities, go to notoryou.com, that's N-O-T-O-R-Y-O-U.com, or www.whereevart.com, that's W-H-E-R-E-V-A-R-T.com. Now it's time for ice cream and nostalgia, which almost certainly seem to go hand in hand. It also proved to be a bit of a dilemma for me, as I remembered that one of the words in the brand name is one that's pronounced differently in the UK and North America, and I couldn't remember which. Fortunately, I chose the right one, as US ice cream producer Cascade Glacier is bringing the flavors of popular childhood candies to life and a new dairy-free sorbet with a taste reminiscent of childhood treats like Jolly Ranchers and Starburst. I'm having a bit of a Pavlovian response to that right now, just thinking about it. To tell us about the new product and the nostalgia trend is Cascade Glacier's SVP of Sales and Marketing, Joelle Simmons. The first obvious question, I guess, is to talk about the company. If you could give me some background on Cascade and how it fits in with the Oregon Ice Cream Company. You bet. So Oregon Ice Cream is a company founded in Eugene, Oregon, right in the center of the Willamette Valley, the Pacific Northwest. And the company actually dates back to 1938. Some different ice cream brands have come and gone during that time frame. I always put in a little plug that my grandmother actually packed ice cream as Dutch girl ice cream out of that facility at the start of World War II before they moved to California. So I've had long ties with my family to the Eugene area and to that specific building, which is interesting. We have two brands out of Oregon ice cream today, and one is a food service brand and one is a retail brand. So our food service brand, Cascade Glacier, is a three-gallon scoopable ice cream. That is our oldest brand. So Cascade Glacier was launched in 1998, and we currently have over 50 flavors in that brand of ice cream. It services, as I said, food service, but predominantly restaurants, scoop shops, large piece of our business. We also have a tremendous business in national parks in Alaska, Montana, Idaho, eastern Washington, eastern Oregon. And then the entertainment segment, we would end up saying so. Things like family entertainment centers, amusement parks, things along those lines, wherever you think about getting ice cream or making sundaes or milkshakes. That brand fits that niche to the point of the COVID and pandemic over the last year. That segment of business for everyone food service related certainly had a toll just simply based on business closures. But we're really happy to report that it is resoundingly coming back in a very strong way. Again, the Cascade Glacier brand is predominantly sold in the Western United States. So as California, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, Idaho, Utah have been opening back up, we've really been seeing strong support from consumers and customers alike to restock ice cream and be ready for these summer months. Then Alden's is our organic ice cream brand. And that fits into the retail segment of trade here in the United States. Both brands are United States only at this time. And Alden's is a natural brand, started in the natural channel of trade in the U.S., but has morphed into a national brand across both conventional and natural. And it serves a wide variety of ice cream occasions with a 48-ounce package we call a scround, a square round, 
And that's what we call our sharing size. People can scoop out of that, make milkshakes with it, put on pie, cake, birthday parties, things along those lines. And then we have a pint size line, which we call individual indulgence. So we know a lot of people love a little bit more indulgent flavors and in pints, but they'll buy multiples. And uh, everyone has their own package and their own flavor inside the freezer. And then one of our fastest growing segments is our novelties. So the Alden's brand comes in stick bars, what we call naked or plain, as well as chocolate dipped. And then we have sandwiches, our round Sammies, which is a nice big thick cut of ice cream in between two wafers, chocolate or vanilla. And then we have the more traditional ice cream sandwich that people think of, which is more the rectangle with the vanilla ice cream in the middle. And then we also make that one in squares, which is a fantastic item right now as people think about portion control, um, maybe individual snacks, being able to hand those out to kids, family, post-soccer games, things along those lines. So we feel that Alden's is a brand that has it all. And uh, in fact, that's our, our motto is Alden's Organic for All. And it's really important that we, we have an offering. I'll note also that brand comes in dairy and dairy-free. So as we live up to our ethos of making organic available for all, we know that there's a large part of the population that needs dairy-free, either by preference or by dietary needs. And we are addressing that with our own proprietary blend of plant-based proteins to make that product. And the new product that we're talking about is dairy-free or plant-based? We wanted to make sure that Alden's Organic went into the non-dairy space. Um, we say dairy-free, um, most of those items being vegan-friendly as well, because we wanted to do it right. And I would tell you, we went through 29 renditions and two years to work on that formula. So we wanted a very creamy, neutral base on that dairy-free, but delivered a real true-to-flavor taste so that you didn't come through with a nut flavor or a coconut or almond, macadamia even. And there's some wonderful vegan and dairy-free options in the marketplace. But we want to deliver something that we can make strawberry ice cream or coffee ice cream. And it tastes like that. And somebody didn't feel that they were getting a nut base of some sort or some other rich protein that left an aftertaste. So we're really pleased with that. Between our dairy and our dairy-free, Alden's Organics and over 10,000 outlets across the United States, both conventional, natural, and club channel. And that new product is the Sour Splash Sorbet. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. So on Cascade Glacier, we took a step back to both brands. You'll end up seeing a real nostalgic type of approach to new product introductions both what we tried to do in 2020, but really gaining ground in 2021, also part of our plan for 2022. And on Cascade Glacier, where we went to was a flavor that would bring back kind of nostalgic candy flavor. If you think about Jolly Ranchers or Starburst, that type of flavor explosion inside your mouth is what we wanted. But as you know, sorbet can get really hard to scoop out of a tub. That's a detriment to a lot of scoop shops because they don't have labor to end up taking a lot of time to do that. And it doesn't create a fantastic texture inside the consumer's mouth. So we went after some really in-depth study about how to make our Sour Splash and a new line as we'll have flavor extensions in what we're calling a scoopable sorbet. So it has more air in it and some other science behind it on water molecules, but being able to make that scoopable and have more of a light texture, almost a creaminess to it without any cream. And it is just having resounding support from customers 
and scoop shops say consumers love it. We find in scoop shops, especially here in the United States, people love fun flavors. They love bright colors. They love to see the inclusions inside that, right? It might not be something you buy at the grocery store to put in your freezer at home, but when you're on vacation or a trip to the beach for the day or walking through Glacier National Park, you want a really fun experience, especially if there's younger ones in tow. They want cotton candy and animal party and things like that. They want cookies, inclusions, and Sour Splash delivers on all of that color and flavor explosion inside your mouth. And uh, people are just eating it up. And so obviously in a podcast, we can't see it and we can't taste it. So what, what is it like? Sour Splash is a combination, I'll read them off, of green apple, watermelon, and lemon melted together in a perfect twist of what we call sweet and tart. All right. So not one for the five-year-olds, maybe. The... <laughs> it might be just a little bit on the tart side there, but slightly older than that, they get it. And certainly adults that have enjoyed, like I said earlier, Jolly Ranchers, Starburst, that type of flavor combinations in your mouth. If you like that, you'll love the sorbet. Continuing on from the Jolly Ranchers and Starbursts and that kind of nostalgia kick, which seems to be a really big trend right now. Uh, yes. Do you think that that's because of the pandemic or was it already a trend that was just amplified by the pandemic? I think that ice cream in general has a nostalgic element to it. If we think about one of the oldest type of dessert preferences, regardless of almost what country you're in or continent, ice cream brings with it just an inherent nostalgia. We did see the trend starting probably about five years ago here in the United States in packaging trends as well as in flavor trends. Folks get a lot of media on new flavors and things coming in, but they seem to be in and out on a much more frequent basis. Some of the tried and true or reaching back to the past of flavors that are reminiscent of wonderful memories or times in our youth are resonating very well. So I believe the pandemic and what everything we're seeing absolutely intensified a trend that was already starting and escalated it in a probably five to tenfold. We did some work on flavors for next year and went in and looked at top trending desserts. And they it was top 10 for the United States and six or seven were nostalgic dessert flavors. And one we're gonna use in social here in a few weeks is a baked Alaska with a layered ice cream and a dome of meringue over the top. You haven't heard that or seen that on restaurant menus and it's making a comeback. It's one example. Another thing is working with custards, bringing egg back into ice cream and the explosion that we're seeing on lower overrun or lower air and a rich creamy texture is very reminiscent of historical times of eating frozen desserts. And how are you responding to that with products? Well, across the board, both on as the food service brand on Cascade Glacier, we're responding with food service to front. We are expanding dairy-free ice cream on our frozen desserts on that side that are not the sorbet-based. doesn't have the exact proprietary blend that we're doing on Alden's Organic, but very, very similar um, a mix of plant proteins to get that neutral base. And we're launching with chocolate and vanilla. We are also doing a lot more with starting to look at flavors of things that people liked, either this one, Sour Splash on candy, or looking at drink mixtures, things that are espresso-based, coffee-based, 
things like Rocky Road or hot chocolate, hot cocoa, and um, graham crackers, things along those lines that for summertime end up seeming like a camping trip, um, maybe during the holidays of peppermint and uh, candy canes, things along those lines that you can bring into your ice cream flavors. And then on the Alden's organic side, we've had a nice focus on, as I said, launching of our dairy-free across our platforms on pints and stick bars and sandwiches. And then we've really exploded this summer of reaching back into some nostalgic flavors of beverages. So we're calling it our summer beverage collection. Think in terms of a strawberry lemonade, which is an item on a stick bar, horchata, really getting into some more ethnic flavors are on the rise. Uh, our horchata base is dairy-free, and we think we can do a lot of different things with that, of delivering a flavor specification to folks that love that non-dairy drink. And so you'll end up seeing things along those lines. We created a root beer float. So literally, it tastes like a, a root beer float uh, with your favorite vanilla ice cream and effervescence of root beer swirled together on a stick. And that kind of follows its sister, which was orange swirl bars. If you think of a dreamsicle of days gone by or little cups of ice cream that had the orange sherbet or, or yeah, typically sherbet and vanilla ice cream swirled together. We put that on a stick probably three years ago and have just seen that item growing by plus 20% year on year. So we knew we were hitting on something with nostalgia, hitting on cool beverage flavors that could go on a stick or between two wafers on a sandwich, and consumers are just responding. So going back 20, 30, and in my case, maybe even 40 years or more ago, when we were eating this kind of product, it didn't necessarily have ingredient lists and it maybe wasn't all that healthy. How do you bring that up to date and stay true to those flavors that we remember in terms of the nostalgia, but also keep them more healthy because that's more of a requirement today? Absolutely. Sometimes that's tricky to do, but we have made a commitment at Oregon Ice Cream to deliver on taste and texture on the Alden's brand, Alden's Organic, uh, our tagline is always true to flavor and do that in, in a healthy way. Cascade Glacier is a brand we do not claim to be organic on there, but we also don't do a lot of additives and things that do not need to be in the ice cream to end up being able to deliver its flavor. So real nuts, real pieces of fruit, RBST free cream, things along those lines. So we try to take extreme care, especially in our cream sourcing. First and foremost, you've got to start with really wonderful cream to come in. And then your product heroes, we shop for really the best flavor we can possibly get. A little bit wider guardrails on the Cascade Glacier brand than we put on our Alden's Organic. Again, being 100% organic, we shop for the best organic source we possibly can. And sometimes that's even around the world, not just on domestic sourcing, but always true to flavor always clean, as clean of ingredient statement as we believe we can create at the time with the ingredients we're putting in. And we've also taken a real stance that we believe organic does play into the consumer looking for something more healthy. It doesn't always mean organic is being marketed as a dietary brand of, of any sort, right? It's an indulgence. You're, you're purposefully entering into something with fats and creams and proteins, calories, et cetera. But we want to do that in a way people can feel really good about. And the Alden's Organic brand allows us to do that because it's sustainably sourced. And even on our vegan and dairy-free items, we're doing that in a way that's giving back to the earth, 
taking care of those plant-based proteins and the products coming in without pesticides, fertilizers, chemicals, things along those lines. And we believe that that resonates with consumers as a healthier eating choice. I know in Europe, there are big differences between countries when it comes to what the consumers actually like. And that's clearly replicated around the world. You see major differences in Asia and even within Asian countries. Do you notice any differences in terms of what people like in different U.S. markets? Are there any differences? Like, are there things that people in Washington State would love, whereas in California they hate it? You know, we've seen it more coast to coast, which is interesting in the United States, and we see it more in fruit. The question's a really good one and caused us to look into uh, some of the, the flavor differentials, east versus west, You can almost end up saying that the West can lean a little bit more on chocolate and the East a little bit more on vanilla, but you really see some differences when you start diving into fruit-flavored ice cream. Peach is a great example. Peach is very difficult to put into an ice cream and have it sell on the West Coast. You can't keep it on the shelf, especially in the Southeast part of the United States, even towards the Central South and up to the Eastern Seaboard. In the West, we have things like Marionberry and Blackberry, Folks in the East don't even know what those berries are. They're looking for black raspberry or a peach, things along those lines. The North versus South is interesting when it comes to apple. So some of those things, like even the apple flavoring we brought into the Sour Splash on Cascade Glacier Green Apple. Apples on the upper part of the United States is, is a very customary and, and familiar favorite. And people will, the apple pie type of posts and things along those lines with ice cream a la mode resonate really well. And then you just, you look for different types of fruit desserts if you end up going towards the South. So it's very interesting, the the difference between the two. But again, more seen on fruit than on some of the other flavors. Coffee's popular across the United States. Chocolate and vanilla, you know, will always end up being, you know, together over 50% of the ice cream category. It's just Everybody loves new flavors, but the base of the business is still resides in, in those two flavors. That's pretty universal for us. And what products are you working on for the rest of 2021, if you're allowed to tell me? Yeah, well, we have done our launch for this year. So on the Cascade okay. Glacier brand, um, we're really doing the feature with the Sour Splash that you're featuring here today from a nostalgic flavor scoop shop ice cream. We're also putting a lot of emphasis behind the two dairy-free options on Cascade Glacier, which for a lot of scoop shops and restaurants, et cetera, they're just now getting into those offerings. And then the other fun thing that we're doing on Cascade Glacier this year, and you'll be seeing come out for the bounce of the year, is putting some of our leading flavors on stick bars. So Cascade Glacier has always put their number one vanilla ice cream on a five ounce, we call big bar. And that's exactly what it is. And that has sold around the United States, predominantly Western United States, for fair season. So what people do is they come in and buy a 50-count box of these five-ounce bars. And then at fairs, you'll see them dipped in chocolate or caramel, rolled in nuts or candies, things along those lines. Much like a candied apple, but it's, it's a dipped and rolled ice cream bar that is out of this world. So we decided this year that we're going to expand that and expand the flavor options on that stick. And have had, again, outstanding response from our customers, especially at the parks. So we put things like Huckleberry Heaven, uh, one of our leading flavors of a berry ice cream, on a five-ounce bar stick. 
And then we did the same thing with chocolate and that mango sorbet to have a dairy-free option in there that does hit on the sorbet side, but it has a very luscious, wonderful texture. So that's what you're going to see coming on the rest of the year for Cascade Glacier. On the retail side of the business with our Alden's Organic brand, we're going to lean in really heavy on these summer flavor of beverages on a stick and really drive home the strawberry lemonade, our previous orange swirl bar, our horchata bar on the root beer swirl bar. And those ones will end up being part of our social approach, part of all of our summer activities, things along those lines that we think they're just they're fun. They're true to flavor taste. They deliver on a bit of that nostalgia, but also a little bit of a twist, which we always like to put in for Aldens. And we think that it will be highly incremental to retailers for the summer months. Our launch past that, Jim, is really going to focus this next year. We're going to go even deeper on our dairy-free on Aldens Organic brand. And I think you'll see the same thing on Cascade Glacier. Families want some more flavors and scoop shops of dairy-free that aren't just sorbet-based. So look for that vanilla and chocolate probably to go into new flavors on Cascade Glacier. And then look for us to continue to build out our dairy-free line on Alden's Organic in 2022. We know that that is just in high demand, driving a lot of growth in the category and fits a really special niche for consumers. I'm hungry for all kinds of candy that I can remember as a kid now. It's weird because I almost got a second childhood for that when I moved to North America because all of the brands were different. And of course, I had to sample them all in the name of research, of course. If you're wondering what the word I had trouble remembering was, well, it was glacier, which is usually pronounced glacier in the UK. Anyway, we don't have too many glaciers or glaciers in the UK, so it's not a word that comes up very often nor does it in Ireland. And I assume it's not a word that's going to be in Liam Fenton's weekly report on the global dairy markets. In Scots Gaelic, the word glacier is, I think, a chru. I think it translates as ice stream. For any Scots Gaelic speakers, apologies for the horrendous accent. Anyway, let's go to Stonex in Dublin and get Liam's recap of what's happening in the dairy markets. It's been a very active week for butter and skim milk powder. Butter has been down in the week, whereas skim milk powder has been remaining relatively flat. Uh, we had June butter trading uh, down from around the 42.15 level to the 41.75 level. Quarter three was down then around 100 euros from the 42.70 level to around the 41. 60 70 level and then we had um quarter four butter off around 160 euros to the 4100 level quarter one of next year then butter was off as well around 70 euros on the week from around the 4100 level to the 4030 level skimmel powder as i say remained largely unchanged trading around a 26 20 level in june uh trading around 2600 level the same as last week for quarter three quarter four then was off maybe around uh, 10 15 euros to the 26 10 15 level and uh quarter one skimmel powder was trading around 25 60 which is off around 40 euros on the week whey was off slightly as well um we were trading closer to around the 950 level last week uh, this week we're trading closer to around the 930 level thank you liam we'll talk to you again next week
Stone X, formerly INCLFC Stone, provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that will do it for podcast 137. Hopefully you will join us for 138. We have a great interview about climate change and 2050 targets. We do have other interviews as well, but I don't want to give too much away. You have to leave a little bit of anticipation. It's a bit like my son waiting all month to find out what the free Lego is on the front of the magazine that he buys. I can't really complain too much because I used to do the same, and I also remember waiting outside the record stores many years ago when a new album came out by one of my favourite bands. That was quite an event back then. Now you just pre-order it online and they show up at your door the day they come out but it's not quite the same, nor is a CD booklet as interesting as the old gatefold album covers, although that may have to do with the fact that CD booklets are just so small, sometimes you can't even read the lyrics. Maybe that's just me getting old. Next week, I will also have had my second vaccination, hopefully, and maybe then all I will need is a vaccination passport. I'm not really sure what a vaccination passport is. Maybe instead of an awful photo of my face, it'll have a picture of a needle going into the top of my arm. And then when I go through the airport in Amsterdam, I'll have to roll up my sleeve so they can see that it's my arm in the photo. Most likely, it'll be something on my phone like an app. Whatever it is, I'm looking forward to using it to finally travel again. Having said that, I can just see it now. I'll be running through the airport panicking that I'm going to have to quarantine because my phone's at 1% and I'm nowhere near the passport control desk. Anyway, I will stop there and start on tomorrow's news and probably also next week's podcast. So wherever in the world you may be, I hope you have a great week, that you'll join us next time, and please stay safe, take care, and as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>